Welcome to the Iceman, a podcast presented by Tuned Up Custom Rods. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. Thank you for being with us here today. We are joined today by our sponsors from Freedom Baits. Welcome Ryan, Dan, thank you for being here tonight. Thanks for having us guys. Yeah, thanks for having yeah, it's exciting. We get a chance to to finally get a, uh, put a face to a name and and to talk to you guys about your products. It's uh, they're pretty nice. We're we've been having a chance to play with them here, and I don't know about you, John, but I've been really impressed. I really like them, and I guess for me, um, I really trying to change my way of fishing. A few years back, I started using plastics, and guys like Freedom Baits come along, and they kind of revolutionize the plastic because the first generation ones were were pretty poor. They were stiff and yeah. Didn't seem super lifelike, but these ones have a lot of movement. Yeah, subtle, 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 subtle movements. Yeah, it's very subtle, subtle, supple, whatever. They're flexible. (laughs) Subbatol. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, how long have you guys been making baits? Uh, Freedom Baits started out back in 2011. Uh, A real close friend of mine owned it and uh, invented the. the Apache, the Tomahawk, the Destroyer, um, and them, them baits there. And, and in 2015, uh, I, I purchased the company from him And when he decided uh, he was kind of tired of shooting plastics every night. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, so, yeah, it's that's about 2015, the, the fall of 2015, and, and we've been basically going strong and added a bunch of stuff to the line, you know, and always looking to do more. That's awesome. Now you guys are located in, in Wisconsin. Is that right? Yep. But, yep. but Ryan, you live here in Minnesota. Yeah. So the sales office is in Minnesota. The manufacturing facility is in Wisconsin. Gotcha. That's mm-hmm. how it's divided up. Basically. How did you get involved, yep. Ryan? Um, I met Dan actually at an NAIFC uh, national championship uh, about a year ago. Um, and we just started talking. Uh, he ended up donating uh, baits to uh, ice fishing derby that I, that I, me and my wife do here in Minnesota called Pheasants on Ice. And he donated baits and we started talking more and started talking more. And it's like, you know, hey, I can help you get into some other stores and, you know, different things like this. And we ended up getting in Sportsman's Warehouse and it's kind of taken off from there. So that's how I got involved. So I'm the sales guy, I guess. You could sure, say. sure. Very cool. Yeah, I, I was talking just off the air, Ryan. You said you guys just got a new facility. You're increasing capacity, and things are going good. Yeah, they are. So we moved out of Laval, and we're moving into Elroy, into a bigger facility, so that we can produce more and have a little bit more space uh, shipping-wise and different things like that so that we can actually take trucks in and things like that. So Sure. And I was talking to Ryan, Dan, about your, about your manufacturing process. It sounds like you've got... Uh, your hands uh, involved in it quite a bit still. He said you were you're actually physically pouring plastic yourself. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm I'm, I'm pouring plastics all the time. I, you know, I keep track of what what my guys are doing, but it's it's kind of one of them things where you you still you still gotta you gotta be there and and you know they're not up to par as as what I can do as far as you know shooting the plastic and stuff like that, but. Uh, I, yeah, you could kind of have a hard time, you know, uh, step them away from it. Can you it's a lot that, of fun. I, Dan, I really can relate to that. Yeah, I thought um, you could. Yeah, it's it's hard because, Dan, I'm sure you, you understand this. It's kind of like your baby, right? You you get, uh-huh. and it's almost like, for me, it's almost a little bit of a high seeing a customer happy with the rod. Um, and I'm sure it's the same way as somebody's like, yeah, these baits are killer. You You get a little bit of a, you know, kind of it's like a hit i don't know i don't know right. how to describe it it's it's a weird messed up feeling mm-hmm. right right yeah it's it's uh and, and you know we only got we only got a couple of guys so i you know right now and we can produce a lot in a day's time but you know you know i gotta still be there to you know uh help them produce that amount that that we need as well you know um but I, you know, I'm, I'm still, I'm still there, you know, coming up with different colors. Hey, you know, we got some downtime. What if we do this with the colors, you know, and kind of not really barking out orders, but <laughs> telling them, telling them uh, what to do and how to do it. And, you know, so we're always, always playing with, uh, you know, different, uh, different colors and different glitters and 
and doing some stuff, cutting baits in half and, <laughs> and, and putting them back together type of deal. So that part of it, you know, I'll probably never, ever get out of doing that. So you got to dumb it down a little bit. I think for a lot of our listeners and stuff and me and, and, <laughs> and the producer, I was going to say, okay, so for all of us, um, you got to dumb it down because you say you're, you're shooting plastics and mm-hmm. I, I don't mean, know what that means to me. It'd be awesome to take a handgun out and shoot plastic, but, uh, I'm yeah, sure that well, that has nothing to do with it. Yeah. The shooting the plastic is, you know, basically, uh, you know, heating, heating plastic up, plastisol up, um, and we're using microwaves, you know, and, uh, you're, you get it, you get it to a consistency of, uh, of a, of a liquid, and then you add your colorant and your glitters into it. And basically what you got is like a great big syringe, um, and you suck the plastic up and you inject it into molds is basically how it, how it goes, you know? Sure. Um, well, how do you do like a, like a two-tone? Like, uh, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Like, okay, I see a, a two tone. Oh, yeah. I, I can understand a white bait, right? Yeah. Just a white mm-hmm. plastic. How the, how do you shoot two colors? It, it, or is it like a toothpaste type thing where it's kind of magic? Oh, it comes no, up, comes out with blue and white. <laughs> sometimes you can do that. It all de- it all depends. With them smaller baits like that, it's it's really hard to get every bait to come out perfectly. They call them laminates, um, but. It basically what you're doing is you're using two different colors and you're shooting it into the mold, and and with the smaller uh, panfish plastics and stuff like that, it's it's all all in way how the the mold is uh, designed in order to take that that liquid liquid plastisol. I mean, your our molds our molds you know can run anywhere from thirty cavity molds all the way to eighty. You know what I mean? So, so it's like thirty baits per mold. Is that what you mean? Yeah, thirty baits per mold. And I got some of some of my other stuff's got eighty baits per mold. Um them are the more of the production. So every time you make a uh you inject mold into the, or plastic into that mold, um, you've got ten packs. How you know. how big are they physically? I'm I'm trying to think of the size of a microwave and the amount of plastic you could fit in a microwave. Yeah, well you're you know, we're using, you know, Pyrex. Like your mm-hmm. steal the steal the Pyrex from your mom's kitchen. <laughs> uh, that's how we started out, you know. Um, but the molds are they're they're small. They're they're no bigger than a, a small notebook, yeah, okay. but they're about an inch thick, you know. Um, some of the the Freedom Base line, them are you know sixteen inches long by about five inches wide, um, and they're about two inches thick. So they're pretty heavy. They're made out of aluminum. All your molds are pretty much made out of aluminum. So after the bait comes out of the microwave, how long, how long does it stay consistent? I mean, like, you probably don't have a long time to work with it, right? Um, when it's in the Pyrex, you've got, you know, probably five minutes, 10 minutes hmm. to inject, which you can make, you can make quite a bit of, quite a bit of plastic, uh, doing that by hand. Um, but once you shoot it in the mold, you're, you're looking at like 30 seconds, 40 seconds, and then you can strip it from the mold. That's, that sounds like a very, it, it's an art cause it's, I'm sure it's like, you got to know exactly when that plastic is time is expired and you got to make sure that you work with it in the, in the certain time range, especially if you're doing two colors, I'm sure that's makes it 10 times harder. Yep. It sounds yep. like something that you could do a really bad job at. Yeah, I can see oh, you, you doing know, it in your basement, Dan. And, and it just would be like, what, what are these goos? <laughs> hey, check out these plastics I made. And people are like, oh, boy, this is awful. Well, yeah. yeah. Your, your, biggest, your biggest problem with that is, you know, the plastic is really hot. You get burnt. That's that's the the, downs, the bad thing of it, you know. But the the real bad thing is is, is if you if you leave that Pyrex in that microwave way too long, oh, that's crack. that's the mess. Yeah, that that can be that can be a bad headache. But yeah. and every, every every plastic maker has done it, you know. Um, but it's not a fun sight. But actually, if it if the plastic in the Pyrex is cooled down to the point where you can't suck it up like a, with a syringe, you know, it's, it's not the end of the day. You just got to reheat it back up and go again, you know? So does um, that mean I could melt down all your plastics and make one giant Senko? Oh yeah. You <laughs> just could. kidding. Yeah. 
You could. <laughs> I never thought about it like that. You know, it kind of reminds me of a, of a toy from when I was a kid. You guys are younger than me, so I don't know. No, I remember those. Remember the those? creepy crawlers? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Remember those? Oh, yeah. It's, it sounds very similar to that. It, it's kind of that same concept. Um, you know, that was a little oven that you got in that kit. Yeah. So the microwave basically replaced that oven. So when you're melting the plastic down and getting that consistency, like Dan said, it's uh-huh. at a certain temperature that we shoot everything at. Mm-hmm. And then once it goes in that mold, it takes about 30, 40 seconds, and you've got a usable bait that fast. Sure. Yeah, sure. that it's, fast. So when you go to the, you know, to the – Bates uh, aisle at Cabela's or at Sportsman's Authority or whatever, and mm-hmm. and there are hundreds of different options, right. right? And you know, like for me for bass fishing, you mentioned a Senko John, and there's, I mean, how many well, different Senkos? Senko's not just the Gary Yamamoto's. It's, yeah, it's the it's the stick worm. It, yeah, yeah, and uh-huh. some of them, you know, you can they're different. They're not the same stuff. Right. You know, like, right. So you know when you when you're making your your baits, do you do you put different materials in them like are you putting salt in them or garlic flavor or all kinds of weird stuff that you see advertised or how does that work anus or anise or whatever it is <laughs> anise oil anise oil, <laughs> anise oil. Yeah. Oops, sorry probably but can't, we'll bleep that out <laughs> yeah we i don't want to yeah, know how we you make put, that um we put we put um uh scents in our in our baits um and uh yeah there's some other stuff that we we add into like the you know like the bass line of stuff some um, secret stuff yeah, secret stuff <laughs> uh, that I yeah I don't usually share what what we put into it, but you know for your sinkos to to do this or that or and 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 make you know uh, your craws kick maybe just a little bit more. There's there's certain tricks of stuff that we we do that we because you, you got to balance the the action with the durability, right? Right, You're right, right. Well, it's like ne- so a Ned rig plastic. Is very different. That elastic. Than, yeah, that stuff that like eats through every plastic box that you yep. have in your tackle box. But it'll last six, 70 fish. Yeah. And I mean, I know your freedom baits, they, they last pretty well. Um, right. With ice baits, I always tell people it's, it's, they're more of a consumable. It's not like a Ned rig where you can fish, you know, catch 50 fish on it. You're fishing something that is tiny because your forage uh-huh. in the winter is pretty small. Right. Right. Yeah. In, in, you know the the elastic. You brought up the elastic. That's a whole 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 different world as far as you know your rest of your your plastic baits out there. Um, that 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 stuff is like I, I think if I'm not mistaken, but that stuff's more of a a protrusion like molded. So there's real extensive expensive equipment that um, that it takes to to make them baits and that's why they last they last longer you know what i mean it's a weird plastic for sure it's a very weird and then i don't know what the chemical deal is with eating all the rest of your plastic (laughs) it does i mean you've you've had it it gets gummy and slimy and yeah they get gooey yeah yeah you don't add it you don't add that with your you leave it in the packages and you keep that stuff 10 feet away from everything else yep exactly (laughs) yeah because i put all your baits in um like everybody's yeah. got their sleeves and stuff like that, but the little canvas fold over mm-hmm. little Ziploc yep. bag thing. That's what I put yours like a in. CD case. For back yeah. Today. It's, it yeah. is like an old school CD case. Probably none of our listeners will remember those CDs. Yeah. Yep. Our demographics skew 30 my, to 45. My, so we're <laughs> fine. We're fine. <laughs> my kid asked me the other day, I pulled out his, he said, why do you have a DVD? I said, I don't have a DVD. It's a CD. He goes, what's a CD? I'm like, Oh geez. <laughs> right. Cause it came out of my truck and he's like, what's a CD? And, my wife's truck does not have a CD yeah, player. Yeah, mine doesn't anymore. either. Yeah, I still have a, I I would have a tape deck if I could. Those don't ever skip. Mm-hmm. I remember when I had right. eight tracks in the truck. Yeah, <laughs> I used to have those. I still have a car sure. with an eight track. Well, yeah, you do. You're building yeah. one. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, Dan, I, I'm I'm kind of curious. So how how do you? I mean, I know the the names obviously kind of represent the Freedom Bates and mm-hmm. um, you guys veteran-owned company. I mean, tell me a little bit about, like, how, how do you get Freedom Baits from that? Um, um, well, this this came about from the previous owner, and we just kept rolling with it. Um, and basically, you know, his he wanted to go in the military, um, and his, his stepdad was in the military, 
Um, so that's where the name Freedom Freedom Bates came up with. And then once he decided uh, he was going to start naming all the characters after uh, the the military things and 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 names of of the military, we just we just kept rolling with it because it just it. it I've got so many military background and he knew that i did and that's when you know basically 2015 he he's like you know i want you to purchase freedom baits it fits you well you know and it, it was always supposed to be that that uh like that mom pa thing <laughs> you know the family orientated the family gets together and makes plastic and package it and um that's what we were true and tried with but now it's you know here we are 2020 and 21 and and now we're taking it to a bigger and better level where it's still a family, but there's so many more people involved other than personal family that is that that that's the family. You know what I mean? So with that, there's, you know, Ryan's a, Ryan's a vet, you know, and another one of our buddies that's a part of Freedom Base is he's a vet and my son's son is in the military. Um, I didn't go in the military, but. I wish I would have, you know, but it, that's what we'll be in USA made and hand packaged and handmade product, you know? Yeah. I, I totally get that, uh, that handmade feel. I mean, I, I people laugh, but I probably still touch 99% of the rods here at least and once. I'm sure you, I bet you touch every one of them. Don't you think? I hate Aligning that. all the guides? Maybe. I mean, I even, just one of our guys are making kind of an emergency rod tonight, and he's like, "Hey, can you just double check this?" And yeah. it's one of those things. It's like a pride thing. Plus, it's kind of a, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's it's always that, and it's not like a control factor, but it's like you, you're probably the same way. You want to produce the best possible product for your customer, and your your freedom baits. I mean, some mm-hmm. I don't remember all the names of them because I'm once I take them out of the package and throw them in my little sleeve, it's like. Yeah, this white goobly thing, you know, that's so <laughs> but they they work. I mean, and what I think people don't understand is their plastics are so thin and so flexible that mm-hmm. it looks like what the forage is. It yep. doesn't. It's because ice fishing plastics have to be a hundred times different than open water plastic. You you couldn't use a six inch senko out crappie fishing and. The winter time, it's just never going to work. Right. Pla- it's too big. Right. It, it doesn't look like anything. Well, and the and the baits are so small that the hooks themselves damage them. And yeah, you know they have to right. be durable enough to stand up to a hook and a and a mouth, but soft enough to look natural. But uh-huh. going back to what you're saying before, Dan, I do think that the idea of of uh, you know celebrating and representing the the veteran owned thing is important. Um, uh-huh. Our culture, we have. Right now, fortunately, a, a real high regard for veterans, but that's not always been the case in our country's history, and I do hope that that's something uh-huh. that continues. You know, with the uh-huh. with the influx of companies like Black Rifle Coffee Company and things like that, you know, it's I think it's right. something to be celebrated. I hope that it doesn't become cliche and lost on people the importance of of supporting veterans and things like that. And Ryan, what, what exactly. service were you in? Uh, U.S. United States Navy. Navy. Yeah. Awesome. I was an air rescue swimmer, so I was the crazy fool that jumped out of perfectly good aircraft to get somebody that couldn't get back to the ship, basically. That's awesome. Yeah. My, our, Tom and I's dad were in the Navy. Oh, okay. Served on an aircraft carrier. Tell your dad thanks for his service. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you the same thing. <laughs> yes, How long you. were you in? Uh, three and a half years uh, before I got injured, I jumped off the back of an aircraft carrier to go after a down pilot, and I separated my sternum from my rib cage, so I got discharged over that. Yikes. I, I don't know about, <laughs> Ouch. I don't know if you remember Tom, but our dad used to tell us stories about being out at sea and people swimming off the ship and things like that. And, you know, the flight deck is what, 70 feet up. Mm-hmm. It's way up there. Yeah. And he, I remember he told a story about how they were, it was during Vietnam, but he was in the Mediterranean and they think they had a, um, a, a group of, of seals or I think they called them frogmen at the time. Yeah. And, uh, he said that they were out in the med and, um, he was up on the flight deck because he was he was working with aircraft, and he saw these guys go to the side of the boat and jump off. And he's like, "Oh, how come they get to do swimming? You know, it's hot. I want to go swimming." Uh, but they just they dropped they jumped off and then the boat left and didn't pick him up. 
He disappeared. Said, he said, oh, yeah. boy, I don't know what those guys were doing, but whatever it was, he was glad that the, that he was still on the boat, not left in the middle of the ocean. Yeah. Well, he also told the story about the guy who was on the flight deck and got uh, blown off the flight deck by yeah. some jet wash. And they yeah. never, never found him. That, that happened um, a lot more frequent than you would think. So when you have air, air rescue swimmers on either what they call the marine, a gator freighter, which basically is a marine aircraft carrier, mm-hmm. and then you have the Navy aircraft carriers. So anytime the flight deck was open, you always had air rescue swimmers on the ready. Now, normally we're supposed to go into a helicopter and then go after the person. Um, this particular incident, a plane was coming in. Um, normally when they hit the flight deck, if they misjudge or whatever and they explode, normally the fuselage goes across the flight deck and the back end of the plane with the engines and stuff goes into the water. This particular case, the fuselage went into the water and the back end of the plane came across the flight deck so my partner and I literally ran to the back of the boat, the fantail, and jumped off. And I hit a wave, and people say, well, you jumped in the water. Yeah, it's like hitting a brick wall. And the boat's going... About 100 miles an hour. The boat's going 35 knots into the wind. Right. I mean, you're not. it's not jumping off a diving board. No, no, no. You're at least 70 feet in the air, and if you miss time a wave, you could be 100 feet in the air. Um, and you're coming down full gear, fins in your hands, and you're going after somebody that just crashed in the water has got a matter of seconds, yeah. or they're gone and you're not going to be able to get them. Um, but I separated the sternum. Uh, we got the pilot out, got him back on the flight deck, and about six months later, I was unfortunately out of the, the Navy because of that injury. I couldn't dive anymore. So sure. that, that was the big problem. Sure. So, Did you wear a special color? vest you know they have like different colored shirts on deck on the four air rescue swimmers no we did not we were always in a wetsuit when we were on the flight deck basically or a dive suit of some sorts depending on what part of the world we were in dictated what we had on but were you attached to a specific like air wing or to i was actually attached to the air wing out of pensacola florida which is where the home of the blue angels that's the Hmm. most famous air wing that's down there but that's actually where the Air Rescue Swimmer School training is. Um, that's where what they call the A School is down there. And so I was actually attached to the A School, and we were on a training deployment when this happened. Sure. So I was training in new guys coming to the aircraft carrier, and I didn't set the best example in the world, but the pilot's alive today. So oh, you did what And you that's what do. my job was. Yeah. Did so. you count uh, how many saves you had? Um, I had 31. 31. Wow. You had to jump in 31 times? 31 times. Well, I bet you jumped in way more than that, but 31 people you plucked out. 31 31 live rescues is what it's referred to. So that's amazing. The person lived. Those are stories that no one hears, you know, no no one knows about that. No. And we would do cold weather training up in Alaska and stuff as well. So the Air Rescue Swimmer School is also the Coast Guard Air Rescue Swimmer School. It's they're basically right there. Sure. So the guys that you see on the Coast Guard helicopters, that's the same helicopters that we jumped out of. But the top guys go to the Coast Guard, and the rest of the guys basically go to the Navy. So like when The you... top two guys go to the Coast Guard. What do you mean? Like the... Top two guys graduating from the class okay. go to the Coast Guard normally. So that's like the people you see on like Deadliest Catch when they're yep. out p- picking yep, people off crab boats and whatnot? Yep, those are air rescue swimmers. Yep. Wow. How much would you have been involved like with like... Uh, the new SpaceX and stuff like that, getting the capsules out of the water. Would was that would that have been your duty now? Um, more than likely, it probably would have fallen underneath us, but it also would have fallen underneath the Navy divers. So not the Navy SEALs, but the Navy divers as okay. well. So they would it would be both groups basically going after that capsule or recovering whatever they're go, they're going after for the SpaceX. So if it's submerged, it would be the Navy divers. If it's on the surface, it would be their rescue swimmers. Gotcha. So would you be deployed like on a specific boat or would you travel between ships? I was not. So I would basically go from ship to ship, depending on what was going in. I was technically in during peacetime. So there was no war per se going on. So I was moving constantly. Um, When I was in the, the beginning part of my Navy career, I think I was home 21 days out of three years. Back in Minnesota, 21 days. Or if you want to add on to that, 28 days in the United States. Wow. In, for three years. That's so, all the time I spent in the States is 28 days. So there's a high need and not a lot of people, huh? Yes. Is that is that so, out of design? I A lot of it is out of design. So when I went into A school, there was 200 
members in my A school class. There was 32 when I walked out. So when when we graduated. Yeah, there's a lot of dropout. And it's no different than the Navy SEALs. They'll start with 200 members in a class, and they might get down to 16 or 20, depending on what's going on at that time. But it's like an 80, 85% fallout rate. And then what happens to if you don't pass that school? Are you just, you go just back a seaman? Yeah, yeah, you're just basically a seaman or go back to, you find a different A school or you do something else. You're not necessarily kicked out of the Navy. No, so but you just get your you just, swab index. It's what you're going to start out doing, <laughs> more than likely. Yeah. Ah, it's fascinating. I, I, I agree with what you said, Dan, that uh, the military is a career that I, I, I do look back and think that that would have been something I would have enjoyed. But, oh, yeah, definitely. But I guess that uh, that time has passed for, hopefully it's right. passed for me. <laughs> and if they go, if they start calling on me, then things have gone real wrong. Uh, I think what we should do, John, is why don't we take a quick commercial break and uh, we'll make sure we uh, hit a spot for our sponsor, Freedom Bates, while we're on this commercial break. Absolutely. And then uh, we'll be back with you guys in just a moment. Stay tuned. Hey, everybody. This is Dan from The Iceman coming in to talk about our sponsor, Tuned Up Custom Rods. If you're in the market for a new custom ice rod or open water rod, check us out at tunedupcustomrods.com and make sure to use the promo code ICEMEN at checkout to save 10%. Hey guys, we also have Freedom Baits in the studio tonight and we are also talking to them about their awesome lineup of baits. Use the code ACPF10 for 10% off in your next order. Hey, everybody. Welcome back from that commercial break. Thank you. Uh, it was good to get a chance to actually sponsor. we got both sponsors sitting here at the table. That's weird. Isn't that weird? That's got, like a I got, dual got sponsor. Tuned up on my right, freedom on my left. I'm stuck in the middle with you. Stuck I think, in the middle with you. No. I think Dan's <laughs> wife would be mad if we didn't ask what ACPF was. So the ACPF code is a code that Renee and I use for our pheasants for Pheasants on Ice Derby, so it's Anoka County Pheasants Forever oh. is actually what it stands for. Okay. So with that code, um, we can announce it on this podcast. We are actually partnering up with National Pheasants Forever. Oh, wow. sweet. So, so even more reason that, to use that, that code. code will be used through National as well. Super. So essentially to give some money back to Pheasants Forever because Dan and I are both big pheasant hunters and a lot of the guys inside Freedom, Freedom Baits are pheasant hunters as well. So it's a it's a cross-promotion thing. Sure, sure. I actually went pheasant hunting this fall with uh, my new work with a bunch of veterans. So it was, Did you? it was a really cool thing. You guys got to tie it together now. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be sweet. I've never been pheasant hunting. It's awesome. Do you I, like? Are you like out in Upland, South Dakota, that type of pheasant hunting? I've done South Dakota. Uh, Dan's got really good pheasant hunting uh, down by the shop in Elroy and Laval. Um, I, my in-laws own a farm up in Foley, so I do a lot of pheasant hunting there. But North Dakota, South Dakota, Iowa. I've got two yellow lab pups mm. that are four that will be, knock on wood, hunting this fall. So, Awesome. We have property that's too far north for pheasants, but we do grouse hunt up there. You have but, property that you'll see more moose up there than <laughs> I've never seen a pheasant. Never yeah, seen a I pheasant up there. It's too far away. Uh, one of the best pheasants I hit was with a '97 Buick Lesabre on one six nine. Smoked it. You throw out a big, a big uh, bird shot at that one. Actually, that that car hit two pheasants: one in South Dakota and one in Minnesota. And I hit a grouse with it. That's talent. I think you're a bad driver, John. No, it's just that's did you make your wife jump out and retrieve? No. <laughs> Fetchless. The last time I went grouse hunting, I shot a grouse and she wouldn't let me put it in the back of the truck or in the vehicle at all. So I put it on her windshield and put a wiper over the top of it. Yeah, tie, tie John, it don't you roof. have a fish rolling around the back of your truck? I did. Oh, it's okay. gone now. It's it's It got too warm. Gosh. It was starting to get really gooey. <laughs> The stories that I hear from you, John, are just amazing. And, and it, everybody's like, there's no way that happened. I was like, that's exactly what happened. That's hilarious. All right, so let's talk some more about the baits, because I, I think that these uh, these baits are interesting. And I was mentioning off air a little bit that uh, I've got to be a little bit ignorant here. Um, so I, I do a lot of bass fishing, Dan. That's kind of my bread and butter, especially in the summer. And I have... I spent a lot of money and I have a lot of storage dedicated towards bass plastics. And you were saying that that's something that, that you guys do, right? 
Where's Make that? Make Bass Classics. Oh, I'm sorry. You got cut off there again. Could you, could you, uh, can you repeat that? Sorry. Yeah, we make bass plastic. Um, it's all for you know online online orders, um, and we'll probably keep it that way because it is a little time consuming. Nothing's automated, so it's it's all hand injection, just like uh, our our panfish stuff. Um, we make the sink of worms, uh, two two types of craws. Um, what else do we make? Hand poured flukes. Um, we make them in a four point five and a five point five. Mm. The flukes are those are dynamite. Like early spring, that's yep. I really use. You know who loves a fluke is Larry Hansen. Really he loves flukes. Yeah, they should get him. We should get him some freedom, some freedom flukes because that guy yeah. uses. I mean, he talks to everybody. Everybody knows Larry Hansen in this. Yes. Area. Mm-hmm. So I would imagine that a bass plastic takes a lot more plastic than a panfish. Oh, plastic. it takes a lot more plastic. Yep, a lot more plastic. <laughs> um. Yeah, yeah, and you got, you know, you got, uh, uh, it basically, you know, it's the same process, just bigger, bigger baits when it comes out. Sometimes the baits got to sit um, a little longer in the molds because you got, you know, a lot more, more plastic heating, heating the molds up. So sometimes it, it they, they got to cool down a little bit, but. I've always kind of wondered why bass is so plastic heavy when other fishing is. A lot more live bait. John, you're probably going to tell me because bass are stupid and they eat anything. Okay. No, here's the, I don't know. I got a little theory about it because I think it just hasn't, bass fishing is catch and release, right? Mm -hmm. So they're not going to just inhale it. You can fish bass with live bait, but they inhale it. Like walleyes primarily are catch and keep. Oh, so you mean like you'll have, you'll be gut hooking a lot of bass? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Okay. I mean, just if you think like fish, Go fish largemouth bass with leeches once. You're going to gut hook every one of those. You'll catch a million fish, though. But what I find is fascinating, the wintertime, using plastics, sometimes you can get fish that don't want to eat to commit. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And I know, I mean, your plastics, I, I'm i going to be super bad about the names, but the one that looks like a like a scorpion with little legs that stick out. Sidewinder. Sure. Yep. <laughs> I'm super bad sure. with names. I, I'm I'm just and it's a white one and I absolutely love the thing for crappies because the the tail is long and it's super flexible and you can sit there and you can watch it on camera and you can jig it and that tail just kind of floats and it looks mm-hmm. exactly like a little invertebrate coming out of the mud. It's it's a really good bait. Oh, that might actually be the uh tomahawk or the patriot then. Because the sidewinder has like arms on it. Yeah, it's got little arms. Okay, that would be the sidewinder. Okay, sidewinder. Okay. Yep. Yeah, but they work. They work really well. And I, I mean, I've come from. Well, I would only use waxworms for the longest time. To now, I barely buy waxworms. Um, so I want to. I actually want to ask you a couple questions. Like, how do you? What is so? If I'm going crappie fishing, what is kind of some of the baits that you'd recommend or you like out of your stuff? Um. I will, if, when I have a customer that comes in and does that, I usually push them towards, uh, uh, like the Apache. Um, that's a, looks like a little water ant. Um, it's got two little balls, um, two legs that come off the back of it and four, four legs that come off the side. I push customers to the, the Apache, um, and the harpoon with the harpoons, just like a wedge, just a blade, nice, Real soft. You don't even really have to move it much or jig it much, and that tuttle, that tail will just flutter. Um, and every bait is designed to be broken down. So oh, sure. I mean, you can you can uh, if they're really respond, the fish is really responsive, and, and and they're following the bait around the water column. They're obviously liking it. So there's there the baits you can you can do something to it to maybe get that fish's attention to eat. That's what's really really cool with it with the, um, but the Apache and the Harpoon are my my two favorite. So um, what about color? Do you have a color preference? Um, I used to be really really big with uh, white. It's like you could go anywhere in the state of Minnesota, Wisconsin, Illinois, and and pound fish all day long on white. But now that we've you know got uh, fourteen different colors and we're adding more colors and I'm starting to, I don't really have a favorite one anymore. Um, uh, got one color that, uh, that we might release that's been doing really, really well for me. Um, that might, might happen 
it's more of a motor, motor oil color. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I would say probably white would be my most favorite. I always fish it every day I go out, but doesn't necessarily be going to be the, the one that's, you know, caught the most fish, I guess I could say, because there's so many colors we offer and I'm always changing different baits. You know what I mean? <laughs> Trying different colors too. Well, I suppose. But, and you got to do a lot of R and D too. Make sure yeah. that that's the hard part of the job. I'm sure. Yeah. It's a nightmare, right? Yes. Yeah. It is. Do you, uh, do you have the ability or do people ever put, um, um, like glow pigment pigments in like, you know, oh, UV yeah. glow. UV glow. Oh yeah. 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 We can do UV glow. Um, we've, we've got, uh, we've got some stuff that is coming out for the, for the website here in a, another month, but we're going to actually have, what is it? Five or six different glow colors. Wait, you, um, s- you said you're doing a new website. Yeah. Yep. yep. That's awesome. That for us, that was one of the biggest, uh, I guess positive things that came out of COVID that I had a little extra time to work on a site all summer long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that that's, it's really crucial. I mean, I'm actually the, the bait that I wanted to tell everyone, it is the Apache that I was using. I just, <laughs> you looked okay. it up. I, we were all way off on that one. <laughs> I, it's like, I don't, I mean, it's, it's super hard when you, I'm terrible about keeping the package. I rip them off and I shove them in a little bag. Well, I yeah. don't remember what they are. You know, I've got customers always, what do you, you know, always asking me, you know, that's such a little bait. It's it's so durable. You know, I went out and caught 15 fish off that one little bait. I can't do that with wax worms, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, and so it's like, it, 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 it's actually pretty cool that people, you know, and then sometimes, you know, when you got them, them crappies or them bluegills where they're really aggressive, you know, they'll, they'll tear them up a little bit more, but they're, they got some pretty good longevity, you know, through through the ice. I think that's, the the, does. that's what I like about plastics the most is the durability. And mm-hmm. like you mentioned, I'm not going to keep fish, John. I, I don't. Uh, and so for me, having to store minnows or store worms or things like that, I, I don't. I don't have a live well. I'm not going to put it in my fridge at home. But I can have plastics sit in my case for years, and they're just fine. Well, and I think plastics makes it. It's almost. I don't know. It, it, it's you don't have to carry as much stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I can fit that that uh, plastics wallet that I have that I've had for years. Um, I think I got it from Black Widow Jigs. They don't even sell plastics, but they sell a plastic retainer. It, it's awesome. It's it's a you know it's a good way to display them, and it's a good way to t- try to keep them all straight. Because I'm terrible about keeping stuff organized in my ice house. All right. Yeah, and then you know it's something that you can replace, and and then mm-hmm. you just enjoy getting more and trying new stuff. You're on right. the website right now, John. Yeah, I'm. I'm looking at your website right now. I'm pretty sure I use the Stinger a lot, a lot more than I want to admit. Um, and then I use the Apache because that's you've gotten out a lot this year. I have gotten out a lot more than normal. I've only years. one gone pan fishing once, which is insane for uh, me. I probably went twelve times so far. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. So for the novice like myself, what what do you use for hooks then with the plastics? How, how does um, it work? I typically um, like you can. It's real hard to use like a five millimeter. That would be uh, like a ten hook um, on the Apaches because they are so small. So you you probably want to use something like the three mils, four mils. Um, I even go down to you know like two and two point five millimeter jigs uh which is a what 16 hook um and i double hook them uh the 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 patchy you nose hook it and then you spin the bait back around and then kind of stretch the plastic and then bring the hook back through and we always use like a horizontal jig you know the the newer stuff the tungstens you prefer horizontal versus vertical oh definitely all the way Horizontal. I, I don't think I've ever used a vertical jig in probably twenty years. Do you do you use a special knot then? Because I know I use some kind of. I have no yeah. idea what the name of it is, but it's like a loop, so it actually the the bait stays horizontal a lot. Better. Yeah, I tie a snell snell okay. knot. Oh really? Um, do you tie it over the eyelet too? 
like you do for um, no what you do is you you put the line you put the line going in the way the hook is pointing into the eye um you wrap that down on the bottom side of the hook pinch the hook and then wrap it around the shank and then bring the line back through the loop and then the line that goes to the pole you you cinch it up so that that bait will sit perfectly horizontal all right here's a website suggestion for you Put a, put, all, put all that on a video and publish that on your website. Yeah, I, th- I think we need to do that because I, I actually – we could do that. I can't describe that, how that would work. YouTube. It's on YouTube. Oh, yeah, is Freedom it? Freedom Baits, YouTube. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Whoa, oh, good. We'll Perfect. have to post a link to that. Yeah, for sure. The Freedom Baits and YouTube. Then there's, and then there's uh, also one on for summertime uh, tying your own bobber stops instead of going and getting the little um, – the ones that they sell in the store with mm-hmm. the little tube and then you got the yarn wrapped around it. Yeah. Um, there's a way to, when you got, you know, yeah. How do I want to say it? You got your slip bobber on there, but that's, that's maybe the, the rope got all frayed and chewed up from casting it in the brush and the whole nine yards. There's, I've got a YouTube video, YouTube video on there, how you can tie your own, uh, bobber stop. And um, it slides on the line. Slip bobber. And it slides on the line, yep. Really? Where you don't have to cut the hook off and slide the bobber on, slide the bead. Um, yeah, I've got a... Wait, you can uh, tie it while the hook is still attached? Yes. Like above it. So if you wreck your your slip or your knot, you yep. can tie it up on there again. And it still moves? That, yeah. I got to watch this yep. video. That sounds fascinating. Yeah, there's a... <laughs> apparently, we're learning a lot. I'm definitely learning a lot. Um, and I, I, we should say that these plastics aren't just for winter. Like... No, I use a lot of no. these plastics during the summertime too. I, I've, my kid has yep. taught me that ice fishing doesn't need to just end. You can fish no. tungsten in the summertime, and it's awesome because it works yep. almost better with spinning gear. Well, yeah, like, it works. Yeah. It works really, really well with like your your five millimeter um, jigs and in, in a slip bobber, and you don't need to put you don't need to put a little lead shot on your line for it to get to go down through through the bobber. Tie on the jig, put your slip bobber on, put your marker wherever you want it, and cast it out there, you know. And and that tungsten jig will pull that line down right straight through. Your bobber will stand up and use the same baits. I mean, I use I fish the destroyer more during the in the spring and the in the fall, you know, for bluegills and crappies. But pull that up, John. I want to see what the destroyer. The destroyer looks like a like a bead chain. Oh yeah, like a long, like a long maggot train. Yeah, and then, I mean, uh, like a bloodworm. Yeah, people oh, don't you realize you guys got all kinds of colors, all kinds of cool stuff. I mean, th- these these baits are are legit, um, and I think I think the trend to get away from wax worms is, um, it, it's it, it's for me, it's really hard to carry a bunch of wax worms all the time throughout the season. These baits don't expire; they don't turn to flies. Right. I've seen that before. It's so yeah. gross. Oh, it's. Wax worms after not finding them for six months and then opening up your jacket pocket. Whoa. <laughs> Bad day. Yeah. And and that goes to what you were saying about the baits are designed to be uh, sh- uh, cut up. Or, or I don't remember how the word you used for that, but how you can make them smaller. Yeah, so you can cut them, tear them, whatever yeah. you want. So if you've, say, for example, you're using a Hellcat, which is one of our bigger ice panfish baits, um, you can pull the tentacles off. You can shrink that body down. You know, if they're biting it shallow, you can break it down so that they'll actually hit that bait then. And that's the big advantage with plastics over live bait is you can modify a plastic. Mm-hmm. You can't modify a live bait. Yeah, you can. You can cut minnows in half. That's so gross. Though. <laughs> <laughs> you can't cut wax worms in half, though. Yeah, no, you can't, no. You, know, you can't cut leeches in half. I mean, you, you can cut that stuff in half, but it's not going to be the same thing. But the bigger baits work better in the spring and in yep. the fall and then mm-hmm. yep. downsize in the winter. Yeah. And there's a misconception with, you know, we've got a dedicated ice line, but we're, it's a panfish plastic company. And yes, we do bait the bass stuff. And we, we've got some stuff that would cross between walleyes and bass as well. And, you know, plastics can be used year round when you're going after panfish. It's not just an ice fishing thing. And that's the misconception. They're like, like I use live bait in the summer. No, you can use the plant plastics as well mm-hmm. and you're probably going to do and, a little bit better and that's the same with the jigs too as well you know 
everybody thinks that, you know, a four millimeter tungsten jig can only be used through the ice. Uh-uh. You can use it out in the boat too. <laughs> I, I definitely <laughs> you know? fall into that, to that trap of put the ice stuff away and then forget about it. But that, you know, I, I, last year I put my groove box with all my tungstens in my, in my boat and I used it all year. Yeah. It, they, they work great. I was looking at these bonitas. Those look yep. like a dynamite early spring, you know, it, early spring. That's like a bit. fluke. Right? Yeah. It's like a mini fluke. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's like a little mini fluke. It's uh 1.75 inches long. And if you notice it, if you look at it, um, you check them out there, the, the back fin is like a minnow. Yeah. It's a little fork where you tail. See, where you see more of the other minnows that are in plastics, they're, they're, they're the other way, you know? Oh yeah. So, yeah. It's vertical. Yeah. Yeah. It's a vertical fin, you know? And Instead so the way we usually, fi- yeah. And so the way we fish them is, you know, you cast them out and they're, you know, mostly time, most of the time during the summer, you know, and it's just like a slow jig and reel. You know, this has got me excited for it. Yeah, you know, I I do a lot it, of crappie fishing. flutters with a like a pegged float, like three feet down, mm-hmm. and you cast out and you wind ultra slow. You know, mm-hmm. over, over like a I mean spawning bed or something like that. It's it's a really good way to catch some. It's the best way to do it with little kids too. Yeah, because I mean, mm-hmm. bobber oh, going over yep, twenty feet definitely. is that's a nightmare. That's going to get tangled. Yeah, a, a pegged yep. weight, and they you know you cast it out. They just wind it in. It's real simple, but something like that in the spring is going to work awesome. I bet that would be mm-hmm. really good for shore, shore fishing too. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, definitely. And I do a ton of shore fishing from when ice goes out until when I actually am wanting to get my boat. Well, the, yep. the lakes that I go to in in the St. Michael area, in Wright County, there's the shore fishing is a huge. There's a huge shore fishing scene, and I think the people that are the most successful have pegged bobbers. They're not using slip bobbers. No, you a pegged bobber or, it, and the bobbers are giant. Like they're they're big round ones. Yeah, I usually use like floats and like peg them. What's the difference between a float and a bobber? Hello? Well, like oh. a, a bobber is plastic. Yeah. Can you hear us, Dan? Yep. Okay, good. So I bobbers to me are plastic, floats are balsa or like styrofoam. But really? I use I I try to use balsa all the I time. I never I never make the distinction. Yeah, like Phil floats are I love balsa. Phil. Phil's my guy. Yep. The wobble yeah. bobber. Yeah. That's my favorite. <laughs> the wobble bobber. I use so those, like the, stel- those the Lindy floats. floats. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, that's what the I Lindy use. Rigs. Um yep. and what people don't realize that the float technology with stuff like this, you you know, you can use pencil ones and you can get them to stick in a certain spot and then, then the wind doesn't move much or use a bigger one and it drifts the bobber with it. So you can kind of fish it two different ways. Have you seen the new fish house bobbers? No. The, 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 the wheelhouse bobbers? I got, I got, I've actually got some in the car. You got to check them out. So it's a, it's a float and then it has a, like a 12 inch, almost, it's almost like um, monofilament piece that sticks up and it's like all colored so you see that sticking above the hole you know because when you're in a wheelhouse yeah if you're using a traditional like foam float or whatever you can't see that unless you're on top of it no you can't see it at all it's genius we used it up on red lake it was a game changer you caught one walleye then too (laughs) jerk (laughs) 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 on that trip i caught one walleye so, so Dan, any anything else that uh, you want to tell us about freedom baits? Because I mean, these people don't realize that that the plastic revolution is is gonna it's here to stay. I mean, yep. wax worms yeah, are no fun, honestly, compared to plastics. No, absolutely not. <laughs> I haven't used a wax worm or a spike, and oh man, it's been forever. Yeah, I got to say, I probably bought 250 last year, and they turned all into flies by mid-season, and I threw them away. <laughs> right. Can I, I have a question. Is there any, like, uh, thoughts of using, like, a 3D printer to make baits like this? Has that ever been considered? To make a bait out of a 3D, pr- a 3D printing plastic? Yeah. It'd be a pretty um, hard plastic. It would be, it would too, be it would pretty be hard. hard plastic. You would, yeah, you would, that would be a, you could do a crankbait. Yeah, you could do a crankbait or a float or something like that. Or something like that. A but spinner. you ain't going to get a soft, soft plastic. It just uh, wouldn't, it just wouldn't hold up. No, mm. I don't think it would hold no. up. You could probably use you a 3D. Get, 
3D printer to make like a cast before you do the mold. You could use that technology for that. But I think most of your 3D printing plastic, uh, I'm not an expert, but I'm guessing it's going to be too hard. Just too hard. Okay. Yeah. The plastic we use is a very, very soft plastic. And that's what gives it that live appearance. Like it's a live bait is because the type of plastic we use is very, very soft. Gotcha. And that's, yeah, that goes with that idea of, you know, you got to figure out durability versus action. Right. And, mm-hmm. you know, you go down the line at the, you know, Bass Pro Shop or whatever, and, and some of the less expensive baits you can pull off the shelf are, they they will last you a lot longer, but they don't sink and they don't move right. and they just, they don't catch the bait. They're very so, rigid. Yes, exactly. Not as su- supple. Supple. Mm-hmm. Right, you got you got it right, Dan. I did it. I'm, I'm really proud it. of I you. I did it. It took 50 minutes, people, to get it right. Yeah, you know, what? <laughs> we're all learning. We're all learning. Well, we really appreciate you guys being on the show tonight, and we really appreciate you being sponsors here for the Ice Minute. It's, uh, it's awesome to have you on board and 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 be able to share your product with uh, with customers. And we just had our first giveaway. We just had our first winner, yep. uh, Pierce Pierce Nar. Congrats! Uh, we announced that earlier this week. We'll be doing more giveaways as the winter continues and as we get into spring and summertime. And uh, I'm excited to I'm excited to try out some of the summer plastics and the and the Senkos too for sure because I buy a lot of Senkos. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, Dan, last year we legitimately bought 500 Senkos together. Yes. And yes. we split them up in between two boxes, and I think I have two left. Yeah. I don't we, know what happens to all of them. They just, it's like I just chuck them overboard or something. Yeah, we, we definitely, yeah. knowing a bait company is going to be good for us. <laughs> or it's going to be financially a disaster. Well, it, yeah, you know, it's, it's both of those are probably going to be the case. It's it's gonna be a sponsor to feed our addiction. There you go. There you go. <laughs> That's why we started this, right, Judd? I I don't know why you I agreed to this. <laughs> yeah. I think it was one day we said, ah, we should start a podcast, sure, whatever. Let's let's just try it. All the while, I'm just seeing visions of grandeur of the of the baits I get to try. R- rolling around in Senkos. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly. Uh, well, Dan, Dan, thank I you really, for being oh, here. Oh, that's we should have a giveaway. How many how many baits is Dan rolling around in the bathtub with? Oh my gosh! Oh, oh, I'm no. not taking a picture of the bathtub. Yeah, oh, yes, you are. Yes, you are. I can't. I can't sacrifice my baits to the bathtub. Oh, it's funny. How many senkos can you fit in your mouth? <laughs> oh. I, let, oh. That would be a gross one. Yeah, you, I don't. I don't know if I can. I've do bit off a few senkos before when they get gross and they're disgusting. They're pretty nasty. That's, yeah. that's why they made scissors. Yeah, well, when you're on the go, <laughs> it's a lot I, easier I, I just use, to bite it. <laughs> I, I use a legit little Rapala scissors for everything, and I cut everything with it. Minnows, baits, everything. Oh, you know, like when you've got a craw that is the the hook is torn off just the just the yeah. top of it, and you bite that sucker and spit it out, and it's it's all it's salty good to go. and uh, you're back in the game, but you're not sure you want to be there anymore. <laughs> Oh, funny. Well, Dan, again, thank you for being here. Ryan, thank you for being here tonight. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having us, guys. Again, it's great having you guys on board. Tune in uh, to uh, the Iceman for our next week. That was a really awkward way of saying that. You want to try to do that for me, John? Wow. Tune in to us next week. You Um, botched it, too. Sorry, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for being here tonight, guys. We appreciate your support. If you're interested in checking us out, check us out on Facebook or Instagram. And we hope to have some videos coming to you guys soon as well. Take it easy from the Iceman. 